coming to get you, Barbara. I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise me. Because you'll never be anything but a common frump whose father lived over a grocery store and whose mother took in washing. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. With me in this studio, I have... She's the film critic and host of Switchblade Sisters, right here on Maximum Fun. It is Sometimes It Snows in April. April, Wolf, April. What's going on? What is good with you? Hi. So this I I always have a hard time thinking about what's good, but I actually have one that I'm like not stressed out about this right now. Come on with it. Um. So oh, I was borrowing my husband's car a little bit the past like week because I had to go places and I couldn't take public transportation because immune system was gone. And I get to listen to the radio and I get to listen to K Day, and I love K Day. If anyone ever comes to Los Angeles or lives in Los Angeles, like K Day is the best, mm-hmm. and it is like nice. 90s hip-hop jams is so good. And my favorite thing is on Wednesdays, they do West Coast Wednesdays. And there's inevitably always some dude who calls in who's like stone, who's like, hey, I want to hear Biggie. And you're like, (laughs) and the DJs are always like, Biggie's not West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Every single time. It's like my favorite part about listening to West Coast Wednesdays. Like, now, and I, now I feel like it's just performance art. So yeah, like K-Day. I love K-Day. Yeah, yeah. K-Day. Don't we do this every day, day? That's what's up. Uh, sitting in a different chair tonight, it is... And it's throwing me. It is throwing <laughs> off the equilibrium of the show. I'm all whoop-de-woo on it. You just heard his voice. He's the film reviews editor at The Rep. El mero mero de Navidad, the one and only Mr. Alonzo Duralde in the building. Alonzo, what's good with you? Well, first of all, I want to thank everybody uh, out there who signed up for HQ Trivia and put me as their <laughs> reference guy because I got a shit ton of free lives, which is awesome. <laughs> and last week, I actually made it all the way to the end that I won $5.61, which was <laughs> super exciting. This sounds so Ready Player One of you. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's a thing. What can I tell you? Uh, no, what's good, though, is uh, the last season of The Americans. Mm. On FX, it just uh, we're a couple episodes in, and it's like, oh, so good! This show is so great, and like it's been great for a long time, and it's exciting when they've known for like two seasons that this was going to be the last season, so they sort of written their way towards where we are now, and it's just all just delicious. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the show ending because I haven't seen a single episode. You just and binge the whole thing. Oh, you're gonna all up in it. it you, I mean, you're in for a treat. Yes. Yeah, let us know. Let yeah, us know. Um, we'll be there to comfort you after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and sitting in in Alonzo's uh, spot over here, she is a friend of the show. I, I, I want to start off on not good terms. Not, not, not a foe. Thank you. Not a foe. Friend of the show. Film critic. We have her here because she brings the ruckus. It is Ingu Kang. She ain't nothing to fuck with. You feel me? <laughs> Ingu, what is I good guess. with you? <laughs> I guess. Uh, I am in L.A. <laughs> This is evident. <laughs> yes, you, you are right in front of us. We see you. Here's the thing. I had five tacos today. Oh, okay. And I feel like that was like my first meal in L.A., which is, of course, like, which should be everyone's first meal in L.A. Mm-hmm. I had two carnitas tacos. Dale. Three pastor tacos. Oh, okay. nice. And there is literally nothing in the world better than 
like spicy pork with a bunch of hot sauce on it, wrapped up in a corn tortilla. By the way, I would like to note at this moment <laughs> that April Wolf is a vegan, so ha 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 That's what's I'm good. just imagining like like <laughs> mushrooms and calabacitas oh and a taco. Mm-hmm. Stop. Mm, mom. Oh. <laughs> Ingo coming out and throwing vegan shade. Ricky, what's good? Oh, thank you for asking, Alonzo, my man. You know, uh, it is a bit of, it's not a terrible drive for me to get here, but uh, it is definitely during the rush hour time, so I always look forward to what I will be listening to. And uh, on my way in, uh, this song that I cannot recommend enough by the Circle City Band called Magic. Uh, It is baby-making music. Uh, It is straight-up dope dancing music. It is champagne and roller skating music. I cannot recommend the song enough. Magic by the Circle City Band. Listen to it in the morning. Start your day off right. Put a smile on your face. I think that's what Winter Mitchell calls a four-quadrant song. Thank you. Not me. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. The the Venn diagram of good times. Of good times. (laughs) Guys, it's just What is a good time? (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) It started raining in the studio as soon as you asked that question. (laughs) Nighttime is the right time. Oh, that's... uh, (laughs) Hey, Hey, y'all, on today's episode, we are going to talk about A Quiet Place, plus we'll be going over movie etiquette. And as always, we will have our staff picks. But first, it's time for a news roundup game called It Addict, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Here's how it works. I will read a news blurb or headline. April, Alonzo, or Inga will jump in with their take by answering these two questions. Is this important? Do I care? Let's start it off right quick. Now, this is a, a movie favorite of, uh, I know, Alonzo, you and mm. I, we love this movie. Uh, Molly Ringwald has some thoughts about her former collaborator, John Hughes, in a recent essay in The New Yorker. Ringwald points out some issues he has with his films and the filmmaker himself. Now, although she praises Hughes, she also takes offense to his homophobic and misogynistic jokes. And racist. And racist jokes, indeed. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to hit on that. In particular, she explains that while showing The Breakfast Club to her daughter, she was bothered by Judd Nelson's character Bender. Ben, uh, is a quote from, uh, from Molly Ringwald. Bender sexually harasses Claire throughout the film. When he's not sexualizing her, he takes out his rage on her with vicious contempt, calling her pathetic, mocking her as queenie. It's rejection that inspires his vitriol. He never apologizes for any of it, but nevertheless, he gets the girl in the end. Uh, adding on into a, to what you just said there, Ingo, in, what is it, sing, uh, 16, 16 Candles? Candles? Yeah, I mean, the, what's the name Long of it? Long Duck Dong. I mean, that character is just extremely problematic, right? It is, like, I, I don't feel like haunting. I'm... haunting. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, when you see that on the screen, you're like... <gasps> yeah, ooh, 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 we did that? Ugh. I told a story on Alonso's podcast, Linoleum Life, and I'll tell, but I will tell it again, where when I first encountered uh, that character, it was like when Bravo was still playing full-length movies after school. And so I remember like coming home, turning on the TV, sort of like going through the channels back when people did that and then encountering this character long duck dong and just like this like very horrible stereotype of this like asian guy who is just like slimy and also like too sexually repellent to like actually be like a sexual threat and also his name was long duck dong and i kept waiting for like the jokes to start because it 
just like was incomprehensible to me that this would be a real actual movie and not like part of like a weird SNL sketch thing. So, meh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a great article. Uh, Molly Ringwald is such a good writer and mm-hmm. she's really smart and perceptive about stuff. By and the way, I will say it's extremely unfair that Molly Ringwald gets into the New Yorker before I do, but moving on. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Write she published a book already too. So. Two. Thanks, yeah. April. Thank right. you. Nonfiction like, and a novel. Yeah, so, like you kind of need know, to step it up. Pick up <laughs> the pace. Uh, she anyway. can't wait forever. <laughs> I think she's really smart about, and and I think that this is. I'd like to see more writing like this about what we're talking about is sort of problematic art and separating the art from the artist and that kind of stuff because she's somebody who was participatory in these films and was there and had a chance to speak up or not in certain cases or whatever. And, and you know, she makes a point. It's like, I don't think we have to completely send 16 candles to the cornyard, cornfield, but at the same time we have to acknowledge that, yeah, it's racist, it's rapey, there's like weird stuff in it that doesn't age well and that is you know, awful, but I think there's also other stuff in there that's wonderful and that's really perceptive about young people and that it's well acted and, and you know, that, that that I love a lot. And so, you know, I, I don't know, it, it's, there's no easy answers here and there's no final answers here, but it is the way that we have to kind of talk about culture as we get older, uh, you know, because we're always looking at art through the prism of the time that it was made and who made it and all that kind of stuff. And I I feel like she's doing a really good job. I will also say that the article that she wrote also looks at John Hughes's filmography in the context of like movies about teenagers. Yeah. And then she also um, goes back to his old lampoon stuff. Yes. And, like, does, like, a lot of, like, really interesting archival research of, like, stuff that he wrote when he was, like, in college, like, in the 70s before he made any movies. Yeah. And so it's not just uh, Molly Ringwald saying, like, well, I think this was problematic. She, like, really does deep research. Well, she's and... doing an interview in this. Like, she interviews one of her co-stars. Yeah, Havel- Haviland Morris, who plays the, the prom queen <laughs> in Sixteen Candles. But, yeah, because before, you know, Hughes's big break in show business was, you know, he wrote the screenplay to Vacation, which was based on a story that he wrote for National Lampoon when he was an editor there. And so she's looking back at other stuff that he wrote for The Lampoon. It's kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so, yeah, she's sort of saying, like, he's really perceptive about a lot of this stuff. He wrote these really great characters for me. But he also did this other stuff. Yep. And, and you know, I, I think in looking at artists, it's going to be a lot of, well, here's in the plus column and here's in the negative column. And we have to sort of decide how what we weigh things and, you know, who we who we forgive and not. You yeah. know? But yeah. also it's just like really – I think something that uh, was maybe I felt lacking a bit in the whole like Me Too hurricane was people um, – sort of saying, like, I was also complicit in this because no one wants to say, like, I am also at fault. Mm-hmm. And with her, it's this really, like, uh, self-introspective, like, self-exploring essay where she talks about, like, what part of her legacy is. Yeah. And I think that type of honesty is really rare. I mean, it probably has to be noted that she is able to be that honest because she's not really pursuing an acting career mm-hmm. anymore, so she can piss off hey, whoever she wants. she's on Riverdale. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but no, she she, she is She's very, not, like, actively auditioning. Right. She could, she could right. ditch it tomorrow and probably be just fine. Yeah. You're right. That yeah. does give you a little, a little more leeway to for what you can call out and what you don't. Yep. 
Uh, all right, we're, we're, we're going to move on here. Uh, Zoe Saldana has some words for the Hollywood elitists out there. In an interview with Netta Porte, she says, I've been in rooms with people in this industry who are great at what they do, but they're absolutely elitist, and they look, at, they look down at movies like the Marvel films or actors like myself. They think we're selling out in some way. Every time they speak, I feel so disappointed in them because whenever you see pictures of people in this industry who donate their time to children in need, it's these actors that live in the world that you feel is selling out. Now, of course, she's not talking to anyone in this room, uh, but is this important? Do you all care? Okay, I like Zoe Sadana, but what the fuck is this fucking quote? <laughs> Every single actor who wants to have any sort of longevity in the industry right now is looking for a franchise. So I don't know what she's talking about. Also, to sort of like sneak in there that like she helps children in need, but like these other actors do not because they're too good for it. Like what the f? Yeah, I don't know what exactly she's fishing for here. Like a thank you, an apology. Like like the Marvel the people doing the Marvel movies are <clears throat> lucky to be in them because they're super popular, and I'm sure they are signing on for three or five movies at a time that are definitely going to get made. So they're it's not like, signing up for five movies at a time. They're basically signing up for twenty movies. <laughs> I, I also would like to throw it out there that Kate Blanchett is in these fucking movies. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But also at the same time, like, I mean, there's a reason why the Marvel like actors are going to like visit kids by their bedside when they've got cancer because they don't know who the fuck Meryl Streep yeah, is. Yeah, the, can- <laughs> the cancer kids did not see Phantom Thread. Yeah, they, oh, they just haven't. Seen, they're like they haven't figured out my left foot and the joys of Daniel Day Lewis yet. So they're. Like, maybe eventually they'll... they'll but but yeah. they saw Civil War. Also, <laughs> there, I mean, know? again, I like Zoe Saldana, but, like, maybe if you have, like, your off time, don't go making a biopic about Nina Simone. Oh, Damn! Wow. I, was, I was not going to go there, Damn. but... Ingo, Ingo's already there. She's been there for a minute. <laughs> she went I there. was thinking about it, but I wasn't going to go there. But Ingo, Ingo wakes. <laughs> uh, oh, Cowards. <laughs> Not gonna, not gonna argue. Not, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, yes. My hat is tipped. <laughs> indeed, indeed. The Handmaid's Tale author Margaret Atwood said in an interview with Variety this week that the 9/11 terrorists got their idea from Star Wars. She said, "Remember the first one? Two guys fly a plane in the middle of something and blow that up. The only difference is in Star Wars, they get away. Is this important? Do you care?" I'm going to cut this off and then just, like, reorient this to what I think is interesting as okay. opposed to this weird <laughs> fucking quote. Because there is, a def- like, a different part of the quote that I thought was fascinating. Because she says, you know, like, right after 9-11, uh, the government hired a bunch of Hollywood screenwriters to tell them how the story might go next. Sci-fi writers are very good at this stuff, anticipating future events. They don't all come true, but they're interesting what-if possible scenarios. That, to me, is an interesting thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, like, with 9-11, because I love the idea that, like, a 9/11. lot of... 9-11. You love 9-11. What did I say? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, my God. I was like... <laughs> I thought I was like, what did I say? I love 9-11? I said that? No, no. <laughs> well, your shirt oh says it. Which is very weird. <laughs> no, no, I got it from Netaporte. Um, so uh, I I love the idea that so much of our technology, so much of our stuff has been predicted by these people in Hollywood, like sci-fi writers. I was reading this other quote from um, Gene Roddenberry from like 
like an 81 or something like that, where he was saying like 80% of the world's jobs in the future, like very soon are going to be eliminated because of automation. Like he called that like an 80. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, like these people who are visionaries who are coming up with this, these ideas, you know, they, they just know. And things. there was some Hong Kong film from the eighties or nineties that involved a plane flying into a skyscraper. I seem to recall, like, I, I remember reading an article where, like, Quentin Tarantino apparently used to show that clip to people all the time. Be like, see, look, they saw 9-11 coming. Yeah, but there was also, like, a really shitty X-Files spinoff that also, quote-unquote, predicted 9-11. I don't know. I feel like... There was only so many scenarios and we yeah. covered yeah. them at some point or other. Yeah. yeah. Also, the idea of, like, government officials hiring screenwriters to tell them what what happened next is like fucking insane. I love it. That makes perfect sense. It to was me. the Bush Cheney. Like for years. some reason, it does <laughs> yeah, make absolutely. a little bit sense to yeah, me. Yeah, like so. it's the government. They're idiots. So yeah. we can't figure it and out. And also, like, yeah, give them a job too. Like, writers, <laughs> like, pay writers. <laughs> uh, Here's the thing. This is why yes. we needed that movie with Jessica Chastain because they were hiring the fucking wrong people and not listening to the right people. Molly's game. <laughs> that help. <laughs> that makes more sense. Yes. <laughs> we are going to take a break, y'all. When we come back, we will be talking about a quiet place. What? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, you're listening to Who Shall Ya? We thought we'd take a break right now to uh, let you know slash remind you the Max Fun Drive is still happening. We are in week two right now. It is the, the shall I say, the sequel since we are a movie podcast. Part two, the sickening. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. The no. spawning. I like it. I like it. The, so the, 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 the wrath of Max Fun Drive. Yeah. Yes. yes. Part two is the best. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's the best one. It's the best one. And it's speaking, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Yes. And speaking of the wrath, we have a special guest with us in studio <laughs> to, talk, <laughs> to talk about uh, and, and help us thank all the listeners out there. For their support, it is Who Shot Ya podcast regular Ingu Kang. Hello, Ingu. How are you? They're making me help them. <laughs> Ingu is so on brand. She, yeah, she's there. Yes. And and that call for help. <laughs> we'll have a call for help of our own. We would love for um, all of our listeners to uh, consider uh, donating. Yes. Um, As a... so many of you have already, yep. I want to thank uh, Kariah, Zach, Jennifer, E. I'm just I'm scrolling down Twitter for all the folks who yeah, mentioned. Yeah, we're, we're like, this is like our TV this week. We're like so <laughs> excited. We're like, oh my God, look at these people. Look at these people. They're so cool. Uh, and, and a great thing that's happening is our, our goal has been to reach 25,000, correct? And uh, I believe Jesse tweeted out recently that we have already reached 20,000. Which is Woo! fantastic. Woo! That's huge. Thank you so much to everybody, to... all the new and uh, 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 upgraded uh, members out there, y'all. Yes, Rock! yes. Thank you so much uh, for for listening, for supporting, for donating. Uh, the The reason these shows are happening is because uh, is, is because of your help. Uh, so it's greatly appreciated. They really have to pay the royalties on that. Now that's the beginning of every episode. Every oh my god, every month is just like oh man, royalties. We're sending, that out. We're sending a check out every single time. 
Royalty, royalty, royalty. Sorry, I cannot stop myself from Rihanna impressions. That's why people <laughs> yes. love the <this> show. <laughs> <laughs> I get notes at the end of every episode, and the producers say, "Ricky, more Rihanna, please." More Rihanna, please. Because this is Could really you? it's the only film pa- podcast where you're gonna get Rihanna impressions, and that's um really that's great Rihanna impressions. <laughs> really, like the best, like straight out the best Rihanna impression. But also, also uh, on our podcast, you get um, uh, some opinions on film and media from people who aren't just straight white dudes. Yes. Yes, That's, sir. That, ma'am. Something I think we all take very much pride in is that our show, uh, we are trying to not just give you the same thing that you would hear something else from uh, from another show, uh, no disrespect to all the other shows out there, that which I, which I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> no other show got Ingu Kang on there. Oh my god, <laughs> uh, we're cornering the real market. Talk, yo. yeah. Take giving that. you real talk. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but it's a really, it's a, it's, it's a goddamn pleasure to to be able to come on here, uh, at least for myself and. Scream all, all my crazy thoughts and, and hopefully it's an you enjoy them. It's an obligation for us. Also, I'm supposed to yeah. be here. You know, I it's have a calling, I, have I think. <laughs> it's an abysmal experience. <laughs> but I want to share something real quick, real yes. personal, like why I love the show and why, you know, like the joy that it brings me. Like I had some bad stuff with job things towards the end of the year when we were we were recording, right? I got laid off. It was a huge thing, blah, 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 blah. And two hours after that, I had to record here. But the thing is that, like, I wanted to come and record because this is a great place, this tiny little (laughs) studio that we have with Casey and Laura peering through the glass at us, telling us we're doing shit wrong. (laughs) I I enjoy that so thoroughly because it's the one place where I get to leave all of that stuff behind and just talk about movies and things that I love. And I hope that our listeners also get that kind of um, experience from this, too. Like, the one place where you can just drop that shit and then just, like, get into movie stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, like, you know, I've said before, I'm a longtime Max Fun listener, longtime Max Fun supporter. And as the new guys on the block, it's so thrilling to have gotten such amazing feedback from people before the fun drive, certainly, but during, like, you know, Liam and Anthony and Ryan and all the, the Revenga bus, all the people who tweet at us and tell us hilarious stuff, you know, and Jimmy Bear London. Um, you know, it, 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 it's just great to have that level of participation in the show, whether it's financial or just like, you know, suggesting movies or telling us, you know, we gave you a good idea, or telling Ricky that they really wish they hadn't sat through Cloud Atlas again. Uh, you know, we we ne- live for that. that. We feed on it. We appreciate it. It's why we're here. Because otherwise, it's, I mean, yeah, we love talking to each other in this box. But if it were just that, then we would go find our own box and just talk to each other. But we're talking to y'all, and y'all are talking to us. And also, you're supporting us now with the fun drive, and you're including us on the rosters of all the shows on this network that you love, and that just means the world. To oh us. my. God, our hearts just grew ten times bigger. <laughs> Mine didn't. Oh, sorry. I was speaking for the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> she meant the people with hearts. Yes, yes. <laughs> special guest, Ingu Kang. Special guest. 
<laughs> None of the money you donate goes to Ingrid. Just letting you know. <laughs> and for you listeners, if you want to know where you can donate, you can go to maximumfund.org slash donate. We thank you very dearly for uh, all your support you have given so far. This is our last week of Max Fun Drive. Time is running out, yes. but it's not Time too late. Not Friday too late. the 13th, that's your deadline. All right, we'll be right back with Who Shot You, y'all? Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. With me in the studio are... Ingu Kang. Alonzo Duraldi. April Wolf. Today, we are talking about A Quiet Place. Alonzo, if you could please give us a brief synopsis of the film. Uh, Okay, so there has been an alien invasion, and uh, they have wiped out most of the people on the planet, but it turns out that they do it all by sound. They are blind, and so if you want to stay alive, you have to be very, very quiet. (laughs) So quiet. And uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, who are a real-life couple, play uh, parents, and one of their children is deaf, so they go into this world with the advantage of knowing ASL, apparently. And uh, so they are managing, you know, it's about a little more than a year after the alien invasion. They're, they're, you know, they've adjusted their lives accordingly. There's a lot of tiptoeing about and walking barefoot and whatnot. Uh, but there are big things coming down the pike and uh, it's going to be dicey to see if they survive or not. Yep. Yep. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, April, I want to get your take on this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, John Krasinski said in an interview that he wasn't a fan of horror films until recently with the release of what he called elevated horror movies. Now, I, of course, follow you on Twitter, and uh, I feel like even just yesterday you were having an issue with the term horror and the adjectives that are thrown before the word horror. It's Uh, when you see it on an airplane. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Can can you just share, share your thoughts on horror films and when they're labeled as something like, like he said, an elevated horror film. For sure. And also, uh, you can check out the Sunday Washington Post for a larger essay that I have on this topic. Ooh. Um, oh, no. So I'll just give you kind of the, the shorter version of um, elevated is just this word that horror fans um, have lived with for a very long time. It's... Uh, it's a thing that um, studios, actors, filmmakers, that they use to try to distance themselves from the genre itself, which is very fascinating to me considering that horror has always provided us with amazing films. Like in, in every decade, there is some, some of the best films that are made are horror. And, and so I don't, I've never understood why people have to say that. Because even the slasher films um, have contributed so much to horror um, or so much to mainstream cinema. Like all of the great special effects artists start on horror. They always like experimentation with cinematography, experimentation with sound design. People get their start in horror and they bring that to mainstream cinema and then they win Oscars with other things. So I've never understood why horror is maligned. But elevated is, you know, this qualifier that that is added to, um, you know, movie descriptions to to separate itself from from that i think it has to do with like just people saying like it's not a slasher but if you think that horror movies are only slashers then like i have a podcast for you (laughs) (laughs) well i I mean 
mean, I I think there's also the, there's this notion of is it kind of gut bucket, you know, um, Herschel Gordon Lewis horror, or is it you know more thoughtfully crafted, you know, mm. Roman Polanski in the 1960s horror? But you even know? that is like like kind of crazy uh, violent in some ways, you no, know? Like I, you, absolutely. So I'm, it's I'm, just... I'm saying that, but I, I, where I was going is yeah. that ultimately it comes from the same place and often delivers the same response. It's it's you, they're usually what they're talking about is pedigree budget. Things like that, you know, yeah. like it's like there's the horror movies that play at Sundance, you know, The Witch and It Follows and The Babadook or whatever. And then there's, you know, the sort of unseemly, you know, embarrassing cousin mm. horror movies. Yeah. But they're sure. all horror movies. Yeah. And there are, you know, like like any genre of film, whether that's going to be a comedy or whether that's going to be a drama, there's going to be some that are better and some that are not. But sure. I'm not I'm not going around describing um, the good comedies as elevated comedies. <laughs> you know, I'm not going around describing like dramas as like, oh, this one's an elevated drama. You know, like who, who the fuck does that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Can I be the Al Pacino to your Keanu Reeves and play the devil's advocate? No. Oh. <laughs> Only if you do it in an Al Pacino impression. Only please. if I could oh, be yeah. the astronaut's yeah. wife. <laughs> you can be my Charlize anytime. <laughs> so I think that... Which, by the way, Charlize got her start in horror films. Okay. Well, she, uh, As well as Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, a lot of other people. I feel like a lot of the elevated horror movies that Alonzo just mentioned, like It Follows. You just said elevated horror movies. I'm I'm talking about like what people people are are referring to. Okay, okay. Or um, there was one I really loved a couple of years ago from Austria. Oh, the mommy one? That's Good Night Mommy. Good Night Mommy, Mommy, yeah. I feel like horror for me as someone who doesn't naturally seek out the genre, uh, something that I, I... I appreciate and maybe what they're referring to with elevated horror with that phrase is that the monster sort of like has a greater metaphorical meaning. And for me, a lot of the time, if I'm watching a run-of-the-mill horror movie and there isn't sort of like something that I can relate the monster to, like a larger... I don't know, like societal concern or like a larger issue, then I can gain from the genre what I want. But also, it doesn't really quite mean much to me. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, it does. It's one of those things where like uh, a lot of horror filmmakers, they don't um, they don't on the surface make those metaphors, but it's just built into the language. Like you can't tell you can't tell a horror story without it being baked into the language, into the, like, what it is. I mean, George Romero's uh, Night of the Living Dead, it's just, like, on the surface, it really doesn't look like much until you get kind of towards the end and, like, looking at the production and, and how that worked. But it's, I mean, there's a a metaphor that we can read into it. And, in fact, most of the, and I would say, and, you know, we're going to get into, we're going to get into the talking of A Quiet Place. I felt like A Quiet Place didn't have the larger, like an understanding of that that context. Well, it's like what you're saying about other genres. It's like there are, you know, you can have your Adam Sandler's comedy. It's like, it's funny, you know. <laughs> uh, but then, and then other ones that are actually about the human condition and that are about, you know, that, that are more thought-provoking and make us sort of understand things about the way that we behave and, and, and how the world is set up. And so, yeah, I think there there are... Some horror movies that are very much about the metaphor, you know, yeah. it's really about AIDS, it's really about parental neglect or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's other ones that are just like that just want to make you go, eh. Yeah. You Which, know. You know, <laughs> yeah. Different 
both valuable. I, yeah. is that, I, and what well, that doesn't the, the if you make me go effectively, then well done. Yeah, yeah. I, I I came away from a quiet place as I didn't think that they were trying to tell me anything more other than this terrible thing happened on the planet and this family has to react to it. Yeah, I as opposed there's... to. Uh, I was just listening to an interview with Jeff Goldblum yesterday, and he was talking about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and uh, the the host was like, oh, and the movie meant all of these things, and he was like, eh, that's not how we were thinking about it when we made it, that's what you got out of it. Uh, but yeah, just kind of, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers has Yeah, there's a metaphorical taken... read to every version of that yeah, movie. Yeah, for sure. yeah, absolutely. We're a quiet place. I really was like, it is this central story that they are telling me? To me, yeah. it felt like we have this cool gimmick and how do we exploit it? And, and a lot of horror movies have done that in a lot of different ways. And the cool gimmick was like, we have to be really quiet. Mm-hmm. And so then, like, how do we extend that into everything about these people's lives and their day-to-day existence and, and all that kind of stuff? And I think it does that well. It milks the idea. But, yeah, you're right. I didn't feel like there was a larger idea that was being examined or explored. Okay, this is where I will be Al Pacino once again. The the impression, please. (laughs) When are you you not Al Pacino? (laughs) 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 I love this with the better, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I am also a critic of impressions, just in case anyone's interested. (laughs) And the weather. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to give you my Rihanna. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that I agree insofar as, yes, like there's no larger metaphor that I can see. Uh, with the monster in A Quiet Place. But something that really fascinated me about the movie is that it's like this really interesting straddling of this kind of like NRA survivalist ideology where like family comes first and like the patriarch is supposed to like protect his family and that's like the only thing that he really has a responsibility to do. And it's also like a really interesting subversion of all of those values and the movie really is able to contain both sides at the same time. So one thing that we didn't mention, I if I recall correctly, is that Emily Blunt's uh, character is pregnant. Well, I don't and, know if that was a spoiler or not, so I didn't mention it, but okay, go for it. And, well, it's like a big component of the movie, It's in the right? trailer. It's yeah. in the trailer, okay, yes. Okay, fine. yes. And basically, if you are, I don't know, like, if you will consider abortion a possibility in anyone's life, it's very in your I feel like you're probably going to spend a lot of time wondering like a should she be pregnant b what are they going to do with the baby and I really felt a lot of the time in the movie that I was sitting in the theater sort of like judging the couple but also like understanding where they're coming from but I was also like you already have two children I guess that's that a you can barely care for. Her. <laughs> yes. And so, like, what are you doing endangering your pre-existing children by bringing like a third child in? And I feel like a lot of the movie is sort of about like, what would you do if you were in their situation? Also, to be, I I had a hard time with just like that they would. Uh, I mean, that that had to be very quiet sex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, the, like how did I mean how uh, I don't know there's like there's a lot of things to consider farting sexing snoring <laughs> snoring like you can't control a lot of that shit screaming you know? in your nightmares which I was really surprised there wasn't like a scene like showing them 
duct taping like their mouths every night because yeah, they things feel like... weren't like they weren't thought through is what I felt yeah. like. It's, and, it's, and, and I'll give this movie credit that I didn't think of most of this stuff until The Way Home. Yes. Like when I was in it, when I was watching it, I was like eating my hand and terrified and super into it. And then as soon as it was over and Dave and I were like leaving, like, well, okay. questions. And then why would they? And if they, and if he could. Then why wouldn't he? You know yeah. that the, the list yeah. starts. You the, know? The, o- the only question that I had throughout the movie, uh, once you see Emily Blunt is pregnant, is why? Why? Why did they do that? Why are they having a child right now? That just seems like they have a pharmacy. Time like a... to be having a child. A monumentally bad idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But again, I also. Because the gimmick of the movie is creating this tension and like, yes, now this new element is on the way. Uh, It made me much more involved in the movie. But this is also what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about how it is sort of this like ideological, like NRA survivalist, like... Paranoid. I don't understand the NRA. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I don't understand the NRA aspect. Of well, the, the, it's a sort of a doomsday prepper yeah, scenario. That's yeah. sort of like what I'm talking about, like where they have like those like millions of jars in their basement, and this whole idea that like any family can be completely self sufficient on their own. Like that's such a kind of like lifestyle that like all of those like oh sell all of your money for like gold coins, like because the government is going to fall down, and the only thing that will matter are gold and seeds, and so. Like it, it's very much like a fever dream out of mm. like that part of our country. Well, interestingly, but also a subversion of it. Apparently, the writers of this film, the the two original writers before uh, uh, Krasinski came on board, wanted to make sell this as a as a Cloverfield movie. And then well, I kind of heard about that. And, yes. and then apparently Krasinski, you know, they changed it and, and and made it its own thing. But you know, Ten Cloverfield Lane, the John Goodman character is very mm-hmm. much that kind of survivalist mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the underground bunker and everything. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that movie also sort of taps into the like because for one thing, you spend most of the movie not even sure like is a really horrible thing happening outside and he just like won the survivalist lottery or is he just telling this person that because he's keeping her prisoner. Um, But then it's the idea of like the excitement of somebody who spent all that time and resources preparing for the worst and the worst happens and like how on the one hand it's like, yeah, I was right. And on the other hand it's like, oh shit, the worst happened. (laughs) But I I have to say – he should have taken um, a lesson from Jordan Peele and not cast himself as a lead because I don't think he was the right person to play this part. Like, this is a part that requires a great deal of face uh, acting. Mm-hmm. And he also covered his face with a fucking giant beard. Hey. So you can't. <laughs> you're, I no mean, disrespect. like, you're not going in there, like, you know, you know doing signs and, and like, he did nothing have... but face acting all those years on The Office. Come on. He did. I kept waiting for him to look at the camera in this movie and be like. <laughs> <laughs> he did like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, he knows how to spike a camera. That's for sure. Um, but I, I, didn't, I didn't feel any emotional attachment to him whatsoever. And a lot, of that, a lot of that is like you can't even see his face. Like, you can't see, like, the, like the minute, like, movements in, like, his cheeks or his mouth or, like, the ways that he's, like, thinking through things. But you things. need the beard for the survivalist aspect. Yeah, shaving is loud. 
Yeah. Scissors are not loud. Scissors are not loud. This is what I will say for the movie. Again, I'm disagreeing with April again. I have this thing where if I get really scared, I'm like a very like physical scaredy cat in that like my whole body sort of like jumps. And I kept (laughs) – this was a a really unusual experience um, watching the movie and that I kept having to be very conscious of where my hands were because I knew that they could go flying up at any second and then like maybe like hit myself in the face. (laughs) And so I really was so – uh, prepared to be scared at like pretty much every second that I had to be very conscious of like how I positioned my body in the seat. And I feel like if I had that sort of like extreme physical experience, then I mean, obviously, a huge part of it worked for me. I'm with you. I like. I was literally, like I said, I was biting my hand. I was really just tense and nervous, and like you know, in a, in a very quiet theater, like we everybody was just like watching their breathing, even. And then on top of that, you get to the scene where people are like potentially going to drown in a grain silo, and I'm like, <laughs> no, yes. no, yeah, because that has freaked my shit ever since Witness. So, but that, but that was, doesn't have anything to do with his performance. Doesn't though. matter. Scared that, me though. That, I mean, that's fine. But my point is about. His his performance like I, I didn't have a thing about his performance it's like I mean I, I think that you could have removed him and put any other actor and it wouldn't have you know like that's a weird thing with it like was he's just a blank spot you know competent yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so overall let's go around and uh, and let the people know what we thought should they screen it stream it or skip it uh, Ingo I'll start with you definitely uh, screen it okay. okay I'm gonna say screen it because I think you're not gonna get that the sound design, but also that collective experience of a bunch of strangers holding their breath in the dark. You know, like to me, that's as good of a gimmick as 3D, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of like see it in a theater, not at home. So screen it. It's yeah. an experience movie for sure. Yeah. 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 And I, I, despite my being critical of it, I would say also screen it, but also, you know, maybe maybe go see uh, or turn on Don't Breathe and Hush as well. Oh, totally, yeah. You know, we're talking about, you know, uh, that kind of exploitation of of, uh, sound and that kind of design. I mean, see all of them, right? (laughs) Yes. Uh, I will say screen it as well. Uh, Oh, shout out to Don't Breathe. I forgot about that movie. So good. It's so good. That was the last time I was in a theater where everybody was that quiet. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes, and shout out to my favorite performance in the movie, uh, The Nail on the Stairs. (laughs) It got some loving close-ups. I will say no. That's that's not. That's. I will say no more than that. I thought I was going to get some slapstick action. I was just like, is this this where we're going? All right, I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about movie etiquette. You are listening to Who Shot You. We are taking a break right now to remind you all that the MaxFun Pledge Drive is happening. Now, I want to say uh, that I thank you and I love you all for your support and your donorship. I uh, actually have to leave the studio, but I am going to leave it to my wonderful co-host. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but special guest Ingu Kang is in the building. <laughs> and she will also be letting you know how much she loves you all. So thank you for your support and your donorship. I will leave it now to April Alonzo and Ingu. Time is running out. We are almost at the end of the 2018 Maximum Fun Drive. Tick tock, tick tock, 
And there's been so much action. Y'all have been making it happen and coming up and being counted and doing all the things you're supposed to do. But it's not too late if you haven't done it yet. So MaximumFun.org slash donate. Uh, it's a great thing to do for us, for the network, for the shows that you enjoy so much, which presumably we are one of Dear them. Dear God, I hope it's ours. And uh, and we are offering you such awesome stuff in return. Uh, starting, of course, at the $5 level, you get scads of exclusive content. You get our interview with Brian Fuller. You get, uh, what's the Switchblade Sisters? Uh, uh, oh, we've got a Lady to Lady uh, mashup. Uh, we brought the, the ladies from Lady to Lady Comedy on to talk about the movie Speed. Nice! So every show has got new and cool stuff for you to listen to, and you get the magic password to all the other exclusive contents from years past. So if you're a new member, you have like a days of material of stuff that you haven't listened to from all of your favorite Max Fun shows. Yeah, that is so many commutes. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, you are covered. Now, $10 a month, we kick it into high. We offer the amazing What's Good With You enamel pin from Megan Lincott. Uh, you get to pick, uh, of course, that's, that's if you pick I mean, that, if you pick that. For wait, us, because we're great. But you, there's, like, you know, other pick, shows that you yeah. could pick from, like that one, that, and the or the other one. Other. And uh, well, here's a plus: uh, if this if this lights a fire, and if you're having a hard time choosing a pin, if we reach the goal of twenty five thousand uh, new or upgrading members, uh, the pins will be available a la carte and for sale. So uh, you know, you don't have to just pick the one. But for now, pick the one, and you know. Choose wisely. Unlock we believe in the you. pins. There you go. At twenty dollars a month, we're throwing in the Max Fun Family Cookbook with dozens of recipes from all of your favorite Max Fun hosts. I threw in my uh, lifelong beloved chocolate mousse cake recipe that my mom used to make, and that I, I now do myself. Uh, uh, Laura is literally applauding <laughs> outside of the studio. She's like through the window applauding because she just had some. She's had the flavor. I oh, had a my bite God. of it today, and basically. I just wanted that bite to never end. Oh, it's so well, good. It's you. like, yeah, it's rich and chocolatey. And uh, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could like taste the walnuts, but it just felt rich. It's a deep, rich experience. Fuck, it's but so good. There's, Laura, uh, there... Laura here, I just want to say um, it was definitely competent. Oh, <laughs> wow. You touched my heart. Holy shit, man. That is such a big compliment. Ooh, man, I'm gonna, that's going to go on my tombstone. Um, so, you know, we've, but there, it, it, it is full of everything from cocktails to desserts to entrees, uh, Elliot Kalin's roasted vegetables. You want in on that, actually. And also, oh April has a Jello shot recipe in there. Jello oh, shots and chili dogs. Which, by the way, I because my family only makes things for 50-plus uh, people, uh, get ready to make a lot of food. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also for that level, for that uh, t- uh, twenty dollars a month level, is it twenty dollars a month? Yes. Yeah, you get like cookie cutters, cool ass cookie cutters, like space themed cookie cutters. Because I think there's some a uh, cookie re- recipe in there that Absolutely. you can knock out of the park. And you know, you're gonna Christmas is gonna roll around. You're gonna want shapes. You're gonna want to knock them dead at the bake sale. You're gonna want these cool ass cookie cutters at thirty five dollars a month. The beautiful one liter juice carafe. Permanently, tastefully, beautifully engraved with the Max Run, with the Max Fun Rocket logo. 
it's for juice. It's for not juice. It's for you decide. You're it's, a you're an adult. Yeah, it's not for rocket fuel. I should make sure that that is. Yeah, no, that's really best not to to put or that gasoline. In. Yeah, I'm, I'm told that you're not supposed to may, put maybe gasoline not so in there. But again, like I said, cocktail recipes. It's really for milk. Just like put a <laughs> ton of milk. Inside. It's just a lot of milk. Milk, milk, or lemonade. Uh, so yeah, so many choices here. Uh, a lot of different levels. If you want to go higher than that, go nuts. We would love it. Uh, there's a there's a fifty dollar level. There's a hundred dollar level. There's a two hundred dollar level, and that's between you know you and your accountant. But uh, well, I was going to say you and your god, but I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> I'm an atheist. Uh, but look, any level of support is great, and you know what? Not everybody can afford it. I get it. These are perilous economic times. If your way of supporting the show is to go on Twitter and remind other people that hashtag MaxFunDrive is happening. That's great. If your way of supporting the show is going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review, that's awesome. That helps the show out immeasurably. It helps people find the show. It cuts through the Apple Podcast algorithm and lets us stand out a little. So whatever works for you, we love the support. We love all the people who have already stepped up and supported the show. Uh, but there is still time to do it. If you want to be a donor for this year's Max Max Fun Drive, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Welcome back to Who Shall You? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio today are... April Wolf, Alonzo Duraldi. Ingu, Ingu, Ingu K. <laughs> That's what's Started up. Bumping. <laughs> turn up the bass. Casey, turn up the bass, please. All right, now we just watched A Quiet Place, which has long stretches of time where it is very quiet. And according to many complaints online, people are getting annoyed with the other people in the theater being too noisy during the movie. Now, whether it's eating popcorn too loudly, chatting with a friend, or adjusting in your seat, it's all just a distraction during this film. Now, listen, we're all movie professionals here. I'm sitting with three critics, and I host a goddamn movie podcast, so we're in the movie theaters a lot. We know what proper movie etiquette is, and we want to review that with all of you. I I want to open it up to my co-host and ask, what are the worst crimes you can commit as a moviegoer, and what is the appropriate punishment for these crimes. I'm going to share a quick story about how I watched A Quiet Place because I uh, sat down next to, um, or next to my husband, really, but and then a woman sat down next to me with a be- breastfeeding baby and a, a two-year-old boy. And they, oh, sat, and they wow. sat next to me, and I was just like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> and, um, and so it started, and I was just like, um, does she know that this is all subtitled? Uh, and, you know, the two-year-old child is not going to be able to, like, read and read that fast. So she had to start, you know, she, like, quickly realized she had to whisper him the subtitle things while she was, like, breastfeeding. And, and the thing is that, like, there was only like one second where I was annoyed, but then I was like, let's see how this pans out. And it, it turned out like I, I ended up like not getting distracted by that at all. It was, ended up being very sweet because sometimes the boy would just be like, like something would happen to the child and that he would be like, oh, what happened to that boy? You know, like very quietly. <laughs> but it, the distractions never came up that much. And you like, honestly, the teenagers who were stoned and eating popcorn <laughs> behind us were much worse. And we get to have two kids a baby and a two-year-old boy who went to see a quiet place when they were kids and they get to share that story later on <laughs> yeah. I, I actually i kind of liked it 
I got lucky. I went I went to opening Thursday night because I missed the press screenings, and it was a full house. And, yeah, like, everybody just got the memo of, like, okay, this movie's going to be quiet. We're going to be quiet. And they were quiet. Nobody checked their phone. Nobody was, like, chewing their popcorn real loud. Because, like, the phone thing drives me the craziest. That's just Mm. so rude and so visible from so far away. You think you're discreetly checking your screen. But, no, we can all see it. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, people who have not opened their candy before the movie starts and decides they're going to start tearing into the plastic wrap – you know, like in a quiet moment of the film, just that shit drives me crazy. I don't understand why people are so blatant with their phone thing, because I feel like if you're a woman, you can put your phone in your bag and like the top of the bag will sort of like cover the part of the light of the phone. If you don't have a bag, just like use like your hand to help cover up the light. Like it's so easy to be considerate and like nobody except me does it because I'm the most considerate person in the world. <laughs> well, you shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't have your phone on at all. Yeah. That's, yes. I'm, That's I'm, like... I'm a zero tolerance. And the punishment is that you should have Dave White sitting next to me going, turn off your phone! <laughs> yeah. I have become this person, but I have noticed that because I do not sound like a, the Velvet Lawnmower, <laughs> people just yell back at me. I went to go see Black Panther with like a general audience and someone was checking their phone at like that really like heartbreaking scene when the two cousins are like on that cliff and Killmonger is like, well, like I'm probably dead, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And basically there was like some guy who was checking his phone. It was driving me insane. And I was like, turn your phone off. And then they were like, just wait a minute. Um, And I was like, why? uh, Like, why can't people just listen to me forever and ever? ever?" (laughs) (laughs) You wait a minute. Since I've uh, hosted the show and been on the show, I have become a turn-my-phone-off person uh, completely during a movie, and that is so goddamn liberating. Mm. Uh, I don't know, before I would just, like, keep it in my pocket. I mean, obviously keep it in my pocket, and then when I would, like, feel it vibrate, just kind of hit it. Uh, but, yeah, just it's there's something great about, like, being completely cut off from everyone. Airplane and, mode. Nah, I just turn. I don't say even that. It's like nope. Nobody needs to. I need. All right, off is good I'll, too. I'll, 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 completely off the grid. Now I'm somebody like once once trailers start happening. Hey, I don't want to hear your voice. Things are on the screen. We're done. And it drives me crazy when you can still hear a little bit of smatter during a trailer. Or obviously, if a trailer is not that great. Which is, you know, I fine, I get it. There's one dude who, and it's always, it's always a dude always. who will give it like the slow clap to get the laugh, and that does get a laugh. But now the other trailer is starting, and now people, there's just off. Oh. I'm forgiving on the trailers, Me like because people are still seen, arriving. No. It's like yeah, it's commercials, on, and also show up on time. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> get out of my way and stop standing in front of me. But uh, for me, it's like the that studio logo ends. You better shut. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, because yep. people think they can talk like until the dialogue starts or until the credits start or until the music starts. No. Studio logo is gone. The movie has started. That silence is intentional. Shut your mouth. Yeah. Guys, I think we should actually change the name of the podcast to like three, sometimes four, Isabel Uberts. <laughs> <laughs> she has this like crazy uh memeified interview where she describes like how you're supposed to watch a movie and it's like no snacks 
no talking. Oh, I love snacks. No snacks. Yeah. That's crazy talk. Calm, calm down. Yeah, she's a friend and also an act for us. So, no snacks. <laughs> we, I mean, can we call it who shushed you? <laughs> <laughs> have you guys have you guys successfully shushed? I shushed uh, some teenagers that love Simon not too long ago. Oh, wow. oh, right. Yeah, I remember you talked about that. I, I, have, I have occasionally shamed people into... You know, I don't usually do it. I used to be nice. Like, could you please... Just... And now I'm like, be quiet. Yeah. I will not tell this story, but when I went and saw The Hateful Eight in Chicago at the Biograph Theater, it was the, uh, the uh, what was it called? The, the, like, the special extended- oh, the road show. Yes, yes, the road show. And I was asked to leave the theater after I had an exchange with two <laughs> horrible people who were behind me. What were their names? Not, uh, piece of shit number one <laughs> and Mrs. Piece of shit number two. Uh and you got kicked out? Uh, we were all, all asked. We out? were all asked to leave. But as I walked away from the theater and I and I looked inside, there's a bar right next to it. I saw them sitting inside the bar, which made me even more upset. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've sometimes I can have a temper. bring that out. <laughs> what sucks is that most theaters won't do anything. Like I you know if you go to the arc light they'll they'll say like oh if there's anything you know uh, impeding your experience whatever come find one of us and let us know blah blah blah. I've never actually seen anybody get thrown out but uh, you know I think people at the arc light tend to behave a little better but mm-hmm. in a regular run of the mill theater like they won't do anything. No, they don't uh, get yeah. paid enough. No, they don't. Yeah. No. They're like you want me to deal with the no, I'm not mm-hmm. dealing with that. <laughs> no. No. Behave. Is what we're trying to say. <laughs> yes, yes. People act appropriately. Act like you've been there before. Yeah. If anything, act like Stop you've been there before. What is this place? <laughs> <laughs> what is that flat thing on the wall? You're not in your living room. Keep your shoes on and like shut up. Oh, that's great. Hey, uh, I think we should. Uh, we're, we're almost going to wrap it up here. Uh, before we do, let's give out uh, our staff picks. Uh, every week, uh, we ask everyone on the panel here to tell us about you, to tell us, to tell you all about a movie that we think you folks should check out. It could be any movie at all. Uh, my staff pick this week is the Gary Shandling documentary uh, that is on HBO Go, directed by Judd, ba- Judd Apatow. I cannot recommend it uh, enough. It shows you all the sides of being a comedian, the good and the bad, of uh, working on a television show, uh, the good and the bad, and uh, coming back from a traumatic moment in your life and trying to get your life back together. Uh, It's pretty goddamn amazing. Watch both parts. Okay, Ricky Carmona left because he had to go see Adam Sandler (laughs) perform. Comedy. No, just just had to see Adam. <laughs> had, had to see him. Yeah, just so like they, for coffee. They had a rendezvous. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I guess I'm driving for the rest of this. All right, uh, staff picks. Ingu, what do you got? I got the writer. Uh, that's R I D E R, not W R I T E R. And basically, it is a pretty small film that will probably roll out, and you'll probably hear like a fair bit about it. It uh, stars a real life amateur actor who. Uh, is a who used to be a rodeo performer where he would sort of like ride bucking horses or bulls. Right. <laughs> and basically what happened to the real life actor is like around age 20 he got his head stomped by a horse and then he realized oh like I can't actually do this anymore. 
if you watch uh, the movie, the movie sort of begins with like him with like a, a row of surgical staples like across his head and his real life father and his real life sister who I think is either autistic or has Asperger's Mm -hmm. are also cast in the film and it I I don't really want to say like it doesn't really have a plot but it's also true it doesn't really have a plot it's just sort of about like what there is to do once you have to give up a dream that like you've worked your whole life until but also maybe like that dream is like fucking not the best for your health Hmm. and so this idea of like what if you have to change basically like every part of like how you see yourself because the dream that you had when you were a teenager was actually uh I don't want to say not the best dream but it's just sort of like Taking a unhealthy dream. Yeah. Yes. Also that. All right. Yeah, that's uh that's opening limited this weekend. Also in limited release, I'm just going to hop in because it's also a movie about a boy and horses. Uh Lean on Pete, the new film from Andrew Haig, which I love and it's a wrenching experience but you know, by the end of it, 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 you know, there's, there's some, there's some hope. Uh, it's about a kid who is, uh, lives with a single dad. They, they, they moved to Portland, Oregon, and, uh, he gets involved with a horse trainer played by Steve Buscemi, uh, becomes very close with this one aging horse who's basically about to be shipped off to Mexico, which is where they can, you can still legally slaughter them. Uh, he decides to, uh, liberate the horse and run off with it in an attempt to save the horse's life and also in an attempt to find his uh, aunt who he hasn't seen in years because he's, she's been estranged from his father and just this sort of sad uh, road trip. It's the kind of movie that Europeans love to make in America where they love the big skies and they love the miserabilism. Uh, so it's like American Honey. It's like Stroshek, uh, But it is very much its own thing. And Andrew Haig is the guy who made you know, Weekend and 45 years. He's, I think, a, a really great uh, young filmmaker. And this movie is just really powerful, terrific lead performance by Charlie Plummer. I'm in a uh, piggyback or horsey back off of you guys. So the one that uh, that I wanted to recommend is an Australian film called Sweet Country, which is um, it's uh, made by an indigenous filmmaker there. So we're talking about you know um, uh, the Rider, which is also set um, in an indigenous community in the U.S. This is an indigenous community in Australia with the Aboriginals, and it's a really uh, quiet and just startling. Film. It is a startling fucking film. We've seen a lot of like slave narratives and kind of like uh, just just post abolition narratives in the U.S., but this one in Australia is just it's uh, it's the cinematography is expansive because they're in the outback. Everything feels kind of empty. Sam Neill is also in it, playing mm. kind of like a preacher character, and it is um, very uh, very dark and quiet and this director is just uh, he's really inventive with the way that he kind of toggles back and forth in time and um and it was something i wasn't going to expect but uh with with so many um movies that are made in australia that aren't made by indigenous people that aren't focused on indigenous faces this is a really really uh strange and wonderful character study none of the characters are all good or all bad so you don't have like this you know one aboriginal hero like he also is you know on this kind of mixed moral field um and i i just i i thought it was really fantastic and just on like a quick aside 
um, that I'm guesting on the uh, Kill by Kill podcast, yeah. where I talk about Hello, um, sorry, Prom Night to Hello, Mary Lou. And if you want to like watch a movie, I think it's on Amazon Prime right now to watch. Um, but if you want to watch a slasher from the 80s that has some of the best fucking special effects that actually ended up changing um, uh, cinema just the course of cinema and the way that um, people did special effects. Like, that is a low-budget slasher gem that is undersung. And you can hear me talk about uh, uh, Prom Night 2 on Kill by Kill. All righty. Hey, so next week we have uh, Max Fun host Danielle Radford from the Tights and Fights podcast. She's going to join us to talk about Rampage with, uh, you know, actor, wrestler-turned-superstar uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Who? Dwayne, that guy, you know Dwayne from accounting. You know, yeah, Vin yeah. Diesel. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, guy, yeah, the bald that guy. one. Yeah, that guy, that guy. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five star reviews get a shout out on the show. This week we got Freckly Marie. Few things make me as happy as listening to Who Shot Ya, and it is one of the only podcasts that I won't ever miss. Wow. Ricky's energy draws you in from the first second, but the rapport between every host and guest really keeps me invested. I feel like part of the family when just listening. I announce your recommendations every week to my husband, and I make it a point to seek out those recommendations. Thank you, Ricky, Alonzo, April, and company. You truly make my week. Well, thank you, Marie. Company is such a weird pronunciation of my name. <laughs> it's always about you. Uh, Zany McBain says, this show is really something special. Ricky Carmona is just the most generous host. He gets his own hilarious jokes in, but he makes sure for all the co-hosts to come in and have their moments of flair. Ricky seems like a, such a genuinely nice guy, and it just helps frame him. Yeah, yeah. I, he's not here, but I guess we'll say that. Anyway. Yeah, he is. Uh, and it just helps frame the really open discussions that are had on Who Shot Ya. I like this podcast isn't about debating whether or not a movie is good, but critiquing a film and trying to view it from all sides. It's a nice change of pace from some other film podcasts I've listened to. I also adore the co-hosts. April and Alonzo are each insightful and fantastic in their own brilliant way. I have to give a special shout out to Ingu Kang. It's about Ingu. <laughs> Boo earns. Uh, she is so intelligent and fierce, and every word that comes out of her mouth is pure wisdom. Wisdom. Whoa. That's an interesting way For to real. spell acid. <laughs> <laughs> I love this show. I'm so happy to have Ricky back in my podcast lineup. And Tim Smith says, this has quickly become my favorite movie podcast. Ricky is an amazing host, and I love how his voice always kind of sounds like he's about to burst into tears, even though he's obviously <laughs> such a joyful dude. Also, He's crying most of the time. It's true, on the inside. Uh, also, April is a straight-up thug, and Alonzo is my dream uncle. Okay, I'll take it. I love that. Also, y'all should just make Ingu and Drea official co-hosts. Well, no argument here. Always a great discussions with these two. Keep up the great work. Uh, thank you, everybody who has already donated to the Max Fund Drive. It's coming to a close, but there is still time to get in there at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Thank you. Y'all are great. Ingu, as always, it's a delight. Anything you, you want to plug to our audience? No, I do nothing. Okay, fine. <laughs> Google her. You'll find it. Uh, check out our Facebook group. If you haven't subscribed already, handle that at facebook.com slash groups slash Who Shot Ya Podcast. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Ya Pod or send us an email at Who Shot Ya at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. This is a production of MaximumFun.org, and that is what is up. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.